There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. In an uncertain world, there is always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15th, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the backdrop of great tunes and allocate 15 minutes to both. Today we speak to Graham Blackaby about why the creators of many of the Marvel and DC superheroes died penniless. Italian musician and producer. He performs with his band The Mop Mop Combo. This is the beautiful Camba Combo. wondrous age if you're into comics 
we grew up with Spider-Man being a 2D character on a piece of paper, but now he actually swings from buildings in Queens. We, we're seeing Ant-Man become Giant-Man. We're seeing the Dark Knight brood. Surely, Captain Graham, uh, the creators of all of these wondrous modern characters, these modern gods, are all counting their money. Tell me that is the case. Yeah, sadly, uh, not so much. You know, it doesn't get um, talked about nearly as much, I don't think, because, like you said, the, these characters have just continued to to blow up and get bigger and bigger. Um, and a lot of these guys that created them have just been completely left by the wayside. I think Steve Ditko and especially the creators of Superman, um, Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, are probably the best three examples of that. But there are plenty if you go down the line. Okay, so let's start at the very beginning. The original superhero that kicked off the whole genre is Superman himself. Can you tell us the story of how he was created and then how his creators um, were shafted? Jerry Siegel and um, Joe Shuster were... I think Joe Shuster was Canadian. They were both teenagers in Cleveland. It was actually a pretty interesting fact about Jerry Siegel is that Shortly before he created the first version of Superman, his dad, who owned a uh, convenience store, mm -hmm. I believe it was, uh, was actually murdered in front of him. It's hard to go back and say exactly what caused what, but it was shortly after that that he created the very first version of Superman uh, with help from his friend Joe. And it was a couple of years of writing comics later that they finally sold the character what was then called, I believe, National Comics, and now it's DC, and changed the entire comic book genre forever. So where do we go from there? They've created this thing to the fact that, in effect, they kind of died penniless. What was it about the way that the comic book industry was structured, and, and how did these two kids, because they were very young when they created Superman, how could they create this thing and just end up without getting their recompense? Well, you have to remember they were both living at the height of the Great Depression. Times were tough. You know, they weren't like dirt poor, but they definitely weren't well off either. And I think an easy, quick payday was what they were looking for because characters came and went and they never thought it would be any big deal. So they just they just took the payday right then and there. Superman was what, 1937, 38? 38 was when the uh, first comic was oh, published. Okay. And then it's is it a year later then we get Batman. Yes, so I believe so. I always thought that Batman was only created by Bob Kane, but that's not the case. Yeah, is a it? lot of people did for a long time. There was some tricky stuff going there with Bill Finger. Like Bill Finger was the one who came up with Batman's actual origin story. Might be the most uh, iconic part of Batman, and he came up with the look of Batman. So kind of everything but the concept was Bill Finger. Wow. And I read that Bob Kane was definitely one of those comic book creators who absolutely did cash in, didn't he? Because by the time of the Adam West Batman of the 1960s, Bob Kane was, I think, if not an, a millionaire, he was definitely living large, so to speak, wasn't he? And trading, uh, trading on the fact that he created Batman. And if you looked at any of those comics, it says Batman created by Bob Kane. Yeah, Bob Kane, say what you will about him, but he just seemed to be a smarter businessman than most of these other creators. Him and Stanley both got credit and were able to associate themselves 
with the things that they had helped create in a way that other creators weren't. And, you know, I think in the 60s, along with Stanley, he was he was lecturing on college campuses, getting paid for stuff like that, too. And especially once that TV show hit, uh, Bob Kane was doing pretty well for himself. Those are the two kind of iconic DC characters. If we switch over to Marvel, you have um, in the 1940s, there was Captain America, who was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby. And then we have a whole slew of characters in the 1960s. Uh, but for people that don't know about comic books and, and the artists behind them, could you explain who Jack Kirby was and why he's so important to the whole world of comics? Yeah, Jack Kirby is kind of the um, godfather of modern comic art in many ways. Uh, the way he drew action, you can basically draw a line between uh, before Jack Kirby and after Jack Kirby because his characters were just much more expressive, a lot less stiff. You know, he was especially good with the with the really out there cosmic stuff that you would see in like Thor and Fantastic Four. You know, people would look at these comics and think he was this like young counterculture type guy of the 60s and that wasn't him at all. He was a very he was old when he co-created these characters. He was kind of this this older guy that just you would never suspect had the this like huge artistic imagination. So could we just give us a roll call of the superheroes that he, if if he didn't create them, had a part in creating? That's tough because if you ask Jack Kirby, he'll tell you that he basically had a hand in creating every single character that was coming out of Marvel in the 60s, including some that most people don't think he did. Like, I don't think he really had much to do with Spider-Man. Uh, like, he kind of claims that he had that he did in the didn't past. Did he actually draw the cover of uh, Amazing Fantasy? Um, no, I believe that was Steve Ditko. Um, I would have to double check on that, but I'm pretty sure uh, Amazing Fantasy 15, that was Steve Ditko. Okay. Um, the story goes that originally um, Stanley brought the Spider-Man concept to Kirby, and mm -hmm. then Kirby drew this much more heroic version of uh, Spider-Man than Lee had pictured in his head, and so he gave it to Ditko instead. But of course, that's Lee's version, which has kind of become the version that gets referenced the most. So I'm going to jump forward just a little bit, Graham, because at some point, Jack Kirby told Stanley to take a walk, didn't he? And then he leaves to go and join the opposition DC, which is the equivalent of defecting. You know, if you're a Soviet uh, spy to, de to defect <laughs> to the West. Uh, but that is um, a way for me to talk about Passion Pit and the piece of music which is called Take a Walk, which you've decided to nominate as your piece of music this week. What is it about Take a Walk which so rings your bell? You know, I wish I had a really uh, deep, cool reason behind it. I like the lyrics. Um, you know, I think it's this downtrodden immigrant story, you know, all that kind of stuff. It reminded me of uh, these comic book guys that we're talking about. Still 
interesting that before we played the piece of music you talked about uh, these kind of immigrants and immigrant themes because somebody had to point out to me or in an article that I read a couple of years ago of course Superman is an, is an immigrant and he's an iconic American god so to speak you know in terms of literature and a lot of uh, the early creators of this new art form comic books in the 1930s and 40s were Jewish, weren't they? So the recent immigrants, if they weren't necessarily first generation, they're definitely second generation. And, and I think it plays to something about the whole genre, doesn't it? That all of the heroes somehow are outsiders. So it's not by accident that so were the creators. Definitely. And I think, like, take a look at the first uh, Captain America issue of him punching Hitler in the face. When a lot of people look at that now, they assume it was put out when we were in the middle of the war or something. But when you actually look when that was put out, that was a fairly controversial thing to put on the cover of a comic book at the time because the U.S. hadn't entered the war and it was just these two uh, Jewish creators that were really concerned about Hitler and hated him for obvious reasons. Later, there would be a lot of, you know, war propaganda through comics. This was was before all of that. No, absolutely. And I think 
It's one of the things that's been airbrushed from American history, but Charles Lindbergh was basically a fascist, wasn't he? And he had his America First movement, and there were many Americans and prominent Americans before America entered the war against Germany that were actually pro-Germany. You know, there was a very strong movement of... Um, uh, of, of Americans who, who were, you know, their politics was, was very right-leaning and proto-fascist. So it was incredibly brave for him to do that at the time. So Jack Kirby, if we, we move on some 20 years, helps to create the Fantastic Four, the Incredible Hulk, etc. And Marvel, under the auspices of Stan Lee, um, kind of reinvents itself as this stable of superheroes, which somewhat go up against in a very different from what DC, the Batman and Superman stable did. Can you describe that difference? Why were the Marvel characters a little bit edgier, a bit different? Well, it really started with you know the very first issue of Fantastic Four. It sounds really silly to say now, but the idea of giving superheroes like relatable problems and having them just kind of argue with each other and be fallible human beings was crazy for a team of superheroes at the time. If you look at old Justice League issues, it's definitely not like that. So they introduced this concept of, oh, these superheroes, they're just like us. And I'm not saying it never showed up before that, but they really they really use that as their kind of what set them apart from DC. So we so we have the early 1960s, we have Spider-Man, he's a teenager with his problems, etc. Tell us about the story of Steve Ditko, because I think he obviously is a very iconic, a very recognisable artist. Tell us, try and describe his kind of graphic style uh, for the listener before we go on to the story of Steve Ditko and, and Spider-Man. Yeah, I would say Steve Ditko has uh, kind of a less heroic um, look about him than Jack Kirby's art. Because what Steve Ditko did really well uh, was drawing people that looked more like people, whereas Jack Kirby's was uh, definitely more idealized. And he was really, really great at drawing just everyday scenes, but he could also do the really psychedelic stuff if you look at his early Doctor Strange, you would never imagine that someone so straight-laced as Steve Ditko could come up with the really strange and sometimes terrifying things that he would draw in that book. Mm. I know a lot of people actually say that, that they just presume that he was somebody that took a whole load of LSD and acid and was some wacky hippie, and, he, and as you say, he completely wasn't. He was this straight-laced... Um, straight up and down, black and white uh, kind of character. Yeah, in fact, he would be uh, pretty horrified by, uh, you know, he had all these hippie fans from Doctor Strange and uh, he just could not relate to them at all. And there's a lot of funny stories about him not knowing what to make of that because he was just not a guy that was into that sort of 60s counterculture thing at all. And But he has a very kind of interesting... Kind of trajectory in comics, doesn't he? Because he he leaves Marvel and leaves somewhat in a huff and never quite reaches the heights again, does he? So Spider Man um, is really his his high point, whereas Jack Kirby did a lot of other characters. Yeah, um, Steve Ditko. I think I you know I'm kind of like a little bit obsessed with his life story because there's still so much we don't know about Steve Ditko. 
he uh we know that through his characters that he created later on like the question and mr a that he got very into ayn randian philosophy Mm -hmm. and that could be a lot of people suspect that's why he's never really gone after marvel is because he believes in a very like black and white point of view there's a, a rumor that they offered to pay him a little bit of money for the first Spider-Man movie when that was coming out. And he said that he wasn't going to take it. He would take either all the money that they owed him from create co-creating Spider-Man or absolutely none of it. There's no gray areas with Steve Ditko. And I've heard that made him very hard to work with. And what you said there kind of brings echoes to uh, Siegel and Schuster, doesn't it, with Superman? Because they... Um, were absolutely down on their luck by the 1970s and hadn't drawn or helped create comics for decades. And then the first Superman movie comes out, and then what happens? A little bit before the release of the first superhero movie, um, Warner Brothers and DC could really see that they could be a potential problem. They didn't want, you know, a bunch of New York Times articles going up about how the, super, the creators of Superman were screwed over right before the movie opens. So they offered them, I believe it was $30,000 a year, uh, if they would just, you know, take the money and keep quiet. And uh, and they took it because they, they really needed to at that point in their life. Very different from Steve Ditko. They were both family men, so they took the money where they could take it. And then just to end up, um, the story of Jack Kirby has a similar kind of trajectory, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, Jack Kirby, I think, did a little bit better for himself than these other creators because he did continue to work and he was definitely more recognized later in life than Schuster and Siegel were. But he definitely never really got the uh, credit that he deserved on Fantastic Four and all those early characters that he created. Stanley was always would always call him the co-creator, but for whatever reason, probably because, you know, he didn't get a bigger slice of the pie financially, he was never really happy with how Stanley talked about their working relationship. He believed that he deserved more credit because mm. the Marvel method was very different from how most comics are written now and uh, where the artist would kind of draw out the entire story and then Stanley would just go in and fill in the bubbles. This isn't to say Stanley wasn't plotting things out at all because you know, for books that he really cared about, he would write the synopsis and give it to the artist. But definitely those early Marvel artists had a lot more control over the story. I think it's really interesting looking at all the trailers for the new Thor movie. And I think you said it that earlier on that Jack Kirby's artwork was incredibly cosmic. And you look at a lot of the images of the new Thor Ragnarok movie in, on the trailers all the people that comment on it say it's such a homage to Jack Kirby. He absolutely is um, a comic book artist who deserved much more recognition than he ever really got. And, and I think he lost his, lost his sight towards the end as well, which I believe happened to one of the Superman creators as well. I don't know if they were staring at canvases too long in badly lit rooms. I don't know. But yeah, mm. they both had that problem near the end of their life. Yeah. Well, it's just incredibly sad when you think that these people helped to create these characters that are just such a part of 20th and now 21st century modern life and to think that a lot of them died, if not in absolute poverty, you know, died in relative poverty 
and didn't really get the plaudits that they deserved. But Graham, Captain Midnight, thank you for coming on to Friday 15 and uh, sharing with us also your love of kind of uh, synth popian music. Well, thanks for having me. It was a good time. You are a great vlogger. So why don't you um, give out the URL of your vlog and tell us what you get up to on YouTube? Yeah, you can go to um, youtube.com slash Captain Midnight, all one word there. And basically, I'm covering uh, right now, especially Marvel. Thank you for coming on to Friday 15, Captain Midnight, aka Graham Blackaby. And uh, no doubt we'll be speaking to you again soon. Sounds great. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. was released as the lead single from the police's second studio album Regatta de Blanc in 1979.
Oscar-winning film Hidden Colors. He was not only the composer but also one of the producers for the film. Its album features Alicia Keys, Mary J. Blige, Leah Hathaway, and Kim Burrell. This is the beautiful Crystal Clear. Oh, oh, how could I forget to mention you're the only melody that gets my attention. I already believe don't need no convincing. Hope you enjoyed this week's show. Don't forget, you can follow the show's progress on Facebook by simply typing in Friday15. You can also find us on Twitter, where you can follow me. Where I'm at Royfield, spelled R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D. Now, every Thursday, you can jump onto Twitter and tweet me and nominate a song for me to put into this week's Friday15 iTunes reviews, folks, are extremely important. They're the lifeblood of any podcast. Please go onto iTunes and write us a, a glowing review. And don't forget, finally, you can email me where I'm Royfield, spelled R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D, at gmail.com. See you all again in seven days' time for more good music and great conversation. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.